Luke 7 is where we're going to be, and uh, we're going to look and continue the series, Love My Neighbor. Uh, to reiterate what Ryan was saying, please pick up, we have 100,000 less because we've distributed to other churches as well. I did, uh, our family's out of town, I'm going to join them in a little bit, and uh, because they're out of town, I don't want to cook for myself, so I frequented Chick-fil-A, and to confirm, actually to confirm that they're actually putting them in the bag. And so I did, you know, secret shop or whatever. And it was great to like, forget the food, give me the card. All right. So some of our sponsors, we're grateful for them for helping us to get the word out. But we really believe, and I've seen this in my own life, most of the people who actually respond, take one step closer to following Jesus. It's not going to be, we're on Fish Radio, we're going to be on Spotify ads. All that social media stuff is great. Most who respond, it's because a friend took the time to let them know and invited them. So this just isn't fluff, like, ah, oh, whatever, people show up. The people who are going to be responsive to the message are the people you know or have some sort of sphere of relationship with, whether it's at work or in your neighborhood. So please, do me a favor. Step out in faith. Grab some of these. They're small enough. Keep them in your pocket. Keep them in your car. I am. And wherever I am, it's like, hey, 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 hey. Everyone who comes is going to get one of these um, bracelets that say good news today on it. It's our way of tracking who's there and what our limits are. And so because we ordered it and I have spiritual authority, I stole one. All right. <laughs> anyway. So I just said I stole. I borrowed. All right. Luke 7. <laughs> it's hot. I can blame it on the sun. Lord, we love you. And we're grateful for another day. We're grateful for your scriptures. We're grateful for this community. We're grateful for what you're doing in our lives. We're grateful for what you're doing in our city. We pray by faith that come August the 12th, all the things we've been dreaming about and praying, not that it will end on that day, but we'll begin to see a little bit of what you're already doing in the lives of people all around us. Lord, we know you're already at work. We know you came to seek and save. We know that you don't want anyone to perish, but all to receive the gift of life. And so God, we are stepping out in faith with you, believing that people will get one step closer to your presence and that many will trust you and experience eternal life. So, Lord, uh, teach us now what it means to love you and love our neighbor as ourself. In your name we pray. Amen. This is week five. If you've been in and out for the summer, welcome back. And we are looking at what it means by Jesus' statement the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's a cliche. We know it. We've heard it. What does it actually mean to love our neighbor? If you missed any of the teachings, they're all either video or audio. Just go to our website. And what we're seeing so far is that love is defined by God in a different way than our culture does. Our neighbor is defined by Jesus in a different way than our neighbor. And we begin to see two weeks ago that what love looks like. So love to Jesus from two weeks ago looks like a meal that we eat together. One of the most spiritual things that you can do is to invite people, a broader group of people, to eat with you. Lunch break, early for breakfast, in your home, wherever. We don't see that as a big deal. It's a huge deal because Jesus, most of what we get in the Gospels, centers around he was either at a meal or walking away from a meal or walking to a meal. He, he ate with people. He spent time with them. That is what it means to love our neighbor. And secondly, from last week we saw, love is like a conversation. 
So Jesus doesn't just eat with people and talk about the weather and sports and blah, blah, blah. He engages in question and answer. And one of the things that you and I can do is we can learn to ask open-ended questions of people. We should try it. Even people we know well, ask them open questions. Not like yes or no, but questions about their life, about their dreams, about their hopes, about things that really annoy them or excite them. Open-ended questions and let them share. A, you'll be surprised how little you know the people you know. But more importantly, those doors often open a conversation about something that God has said in Scripture. There's something that they're going to say that either contradicts or agrees with. And that could be like a launching pad for us to spiritual conversations. All right. If you do that, um, you're going to find something to be true that life is often messy. You invite people into your world and you start talking to them. You're going to find that. The people who you know or look good on the outside sometimes, not always, sometimes have something going on within that's like, wow, I had no idea. Life is messy. How do I know it? Because my life is messy and your life is messy. We're not all put together. So Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. If we eat with people and speak with people and then we encounter things that we didn't know or like, whoa, I had no idea, how do we respond in a neighborly way? Well, there's an encounter in Luke 7 we're going to look at now that helps guide what love looks like. Because love, my friends, looks like a second chance. And I'll explain what that means. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, as she stood near behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And then when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Notice again, the setting is what? A meal, right? Jesus is eating with people. And it's a reminder that so much of what God does, this is going to sound counterintuitive to you coming back to this gathering. So much of what God does is outside of this room. What he does here is beautiful. How he encounters us is beautiful. How he connects us is beautiful. But much of what Jesus is going to do today, he's going to do outside of this room. So can I just encourage you, we think, we don't know for sure, more than likely this was a Sabbath day meal. Because on the Lord's Day, which was Saturday in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' day, they, there was no work. You're not checking, you're not checking social media on, on the Lord's Day. You, you walk to Sabbath. Wouldn't you love it if we like applied that? Because there'd be no AC. We're not turning on anything with power. <laughs> You're walking to church in the 185 degree weather right now. Like this is, this, they held the Sabbath in a way that Jesus freed us from. I'll get to that some other teaching some other day. But we see that I think this is probably, they've gone and worshiped together in the synagogue. And then you invited people to a meal. And you enjoy one another. Reminder, what if we been in our rhythm being neighborly was inviting someone to a meal after this gathering? Uh, wouldn't it be cool if we all just showed up at your house afterwards? I'm ready. Give me your address. I'm like, I literally, my family's in Charlotte. I, I have nowhere to go. But, uh, but, but, but what if we all just made like, 
today, not just an hour and a half slot, but we said, as much as we can, sometimes we can't, as much as we can, today I want to invite people into my world. What happens to this woman happens not at the synagogue. It happens in a home. So that's a Jesus, church, meal. This is a beautiful thing. All right, so, so what happens? So far, here's what we see. She walks in because in their culture and in their day, they didn't live with like closed doors like we do. Our, our architecture, our life, the way we plan everything shows that our, our goal is to give ourselves space. So we have fences around our property line. Why? Don't cross my line. You say it's to keep the pets in, but really it's to keep people out. And then we have the garage doors that, that close people off from the world. And there's nothing wrong with that, except it's just unlike the rhythm of Jesus' day. Jesus' day, you went from house to house, house, and there are many places in the world I get to travel a bit, where the culture lives more like the, the land of Jesus, where people go to each other's homes regularly. It's not weird for someone to show up. We know this because the woman slips into lunch and she wasn't invited. But that wasn't abnormal in their day. Uh, when, when, a, when a traveling teacher like Jesus shows up and you invite him to the house, you're not surprised when other people hear about it and just walk by and pop in. And what does she do? She finds herself kind of by Jesus' feet. She, she's not at the table. The table is where the important people are. Everyone else uninvited or the poor or whatever is at the end. You, you could be outside or at the edge. So she finds a place by Jesus' feet. And we know that something's going on because you ever had just have those moments, you know, whether it's a movie moment where you're like the plot and the music, and you, you know, it welled up. I have them like every Sunday on the stage. I'm going I'm to try not to have one today. But, but you have these moments where you're just overwhelmed. And she has one. You want to talk about embarrassing. She's not invited to lunch. She's there. The Pharisees see her, but probably to keep social etiquette, don't kick her out. And, and she's at the corner by Jesus' feet, and she starts to well up and cry. So much so. If you cry, don't you try to hold it back or, or stop it, right? Her tears are so big that she's wetting Jesus' feet. You ever have to have that kind of uncontrollable, where you, your hands are messy and it's just all, I don't think she's going, look, Jesus, you know. Bloop, 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 bloop. I, I, think, I think she's holding back, but she, she can't, and and then out of embarrassment, uh, servants would, would wash the feet of someone who came into their house. That's not uncommon in their day. But um, you grab a towel and dry it off. What does she do? It's not her house. She takes her hair and makes it a towel. What humility. She takes the form of a servant and embarrassed. She brought perfume. We don't know what she's going to do with it. But it wouldn't be weird to carry perfume in their day. And it wouldn't be weird to bless someone, a, a teacher like Jesus. Maybe she was going to give it to him. Maybe she was going to pour some on him as a sign of blessing. I, we don't know. But what does she do? She kisses his feet. This is not weird in their day. A sign of humility. She's a servant. And then, man, I made a mess. And she pours her perfume on Jesus' feet. That's what we know so far. Respect and honor. But we also know that she's been labeled. What did the Pharisees say? Man, if he were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman she is. 
See, because this is a mess. Remember, when you eat with someone, you're bringing them into relationship. So in Jesus' day, the Pharisees kind of caught out there in a weird one because he's invited the master to be one of his guests, and that's cool. We're in a relationship. I agree with you. But then this lady's there too. Oh, I don't know how to get rid of her. She's a quote-unquote sinner. I want to think about what it means to be a neighbor. In order to be a good neighbor, we need to think about the problem with labels. I want us to look at this. The problem with labels, we all label people and we do it because it's just how the mind works. You don't do it on purpose, but it's how the mind works. You have to put categories for people. So, so you have the new employee, right, the newbie, like at your job. That's a, a label. They don't know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. They don't. I'm going to teach them. That's a label. And then you have the boss. That, that's a label. So you, are you going to treat the newbie and the boss exactly the same? Liars. Right. No, 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 no. You, you, because of the label, your, your, your belief about the boss, because they can influence you in a way a newbie can't. Let's just let's deal with a bunch of labels. We have Republican and Democrat. Those are labels. Conservative and liberal. What does that even mean? Those are just, see, those are labels. You, you label someone, and then you put them in a box, and then you make all sorts of assumptions about them based on what you do. Rich. Well, a rich, oh man, he's rich. It's a label. Or he's poor. She's poor. Immediately your mind went to someone. When I say poor, your brain goes to someone you know. We do that because we put people in boxes. Oh, they're educated. Or they're single. They're married. They're divorced. They're childless. Uh, there's all sorts of labels. They're, they're adopted. It's an act, but it's also... A label, right? Oh, they're beautiful, you know, beauty. They're beautiful. They're awkward, right? Ugly, tall, short, skinny, fat, athletic, popular. All of these, they're, they're, I can go all day. They're, and what we do is we don't even think about it, but the, the problem with labels is that labels are assumptions. And that's what I want us to get at. To be a good neighbor, we have to recognize labels become assumptions. And assumptions can lead us towards a belief and behavior that's outside of the way of Jesus. So labels, if you're not careful, end up defining people. Do you know that you are defined by labels? It happens to me all the time. Uh, whenever I try to get out and spend time with people who aren't, Jesus followers, which the only bad part about this role in life is that you, you're surrounded with people who love Jesus, which is kind of cool, but I'm actually interested in people who don't follow Jesus and getting to know them. But the, I have a problem. The second, I was golfing the other day, and you know, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, I'm a pastor for church. Oh. <laughs> now, I'll, I will say, it was just the other day, and I was with three guys. And I got paired up with them. We went until like the third hole. And then the guy goes, oh, shoot, I'm so sorry for it. the last three holes. He'd just been cursing up a storm because he, he couldn't hit anything. But he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm not a church going guy. I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, let it out, man. Don't worry about it. Threw him off a little bit. Now, he, he did take me literally at my word. And he did just, <laughs> but the rest of the round, he had no problem. And honest to goodness, I had no problem with it. I had no problem with it at all. He's not following the way of Jesus. He's not pretending to. And so hopefully we broke one of the stereotypes, assumptions, the labels that, hey, man, if he's a pastor of some church, he must be against me. 
right? Labels. We all are labels. Now, what the Pharisee does is he calls her a sinner. Now, what does that mean? That could be a lot of things, but the, the, the label sinner was often a classification, if it's for a woman, someone who is immoral. She could have been a prostitute. She could have been easy. Whatever the case may be, he's pegged her as someone who shouldn't be in the room and she shouldn't be disrupting my guest. This is a mess up situation. Now, Jesus, though, is the master because he can take any scenario and he can make it a teachable moment and show the heart of God. So here's what he does. He's going to give us a story that's going to set you and I on how to live like loving God and loving neighbor in 2018. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I've, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a denarii is about a day's wage, so a year and a half-ish of salary. Just do how much you make a year. That's a lot of money, right? And the other 50, so almost two months worth of debt to, to someone. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so both are equally broke. In which scenario would you like to find yourself in? Owing someone two months and you can't pay or a year and a half? Like, I'm, give, me the, give me the two months and then I'll talk you into talking it down. Neither of them had the money to pay. So, okay, here's what the master does. The, the moneylender forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt Forgiven. Aha, you've judged correctly, Jesus says. So Jesus, like any Jewish rabbi, question, answer, question, answer. You get the guy to give the answer that they don't want to give. That's what Jesus does. Aha, you're right. The guy, in this case, the person who had the bigger debt is going to love the person who forgives all the more. The meaning is totally straightforward. This doesn't take a rocket scientist. The Pharisees' assumption, Simon included, the Pharisees' assumption about her are wrong. They've labeled her sinner. They've labeled themselves holy because of their behavior, the way they eat, the way they drink, the way they act, what they know, what they do, what they don't do. They are holy. She, holy just means separated to God. They're in, in the right with God, and she is not. And that, those are the labels. And what Jesus is going to do is flip the mindset of those labels. And actually, the most holy person in the room is going to be the least likely person in the room. To Jesus, who sees the heart and the soul, the person who has been forgiven much is going to express so much more love than the person who doesn't feel like their debt was all that big. Which says something about church following Jesus and living out our faith in the world. We have this tendency, we just do it, we do it, we don't, we're not even thinking about it, to think that by what I can see equals where people really are with God. So, so, so church going and, or nice dressing or, or law abiding or generally good people, those are, you know, upstanding, those, those are the people who must be close to the presence of God. And then you look at other people and say, yeah, they don't, they don't have a, they don't have a, that person will never go to church. That person will never, that person will never, no, no, no. And Jesus has a way of saying, oh, uh, kids, sons and daughters, 
to live neighborly, which loving your neighbor as yourself isn't an action. It, it is a way of seeing people and then stepping into living the way Jesus sees people. Being neighborly is identifying that those labels that we've put are often inaccurate or at least incomplete. So there are people that we've pegged as outsiders, people that we've pegged as they don't have a chance. And Jesus is saying, oh, when, when, the, when the money lent, when the master forgives debts, and their debt will be forgiven too. Those are the people who are going to love me more deeply. Know this, love follows forgiveness. That's just, the, it's the pattern, write it down. Love, love follows forgiveness. So those who've experienced the big forgiveness of God are going to express love for him. That's just, it's just more deep. And that's what's happening in the room. Now this isn't a theory and this isn't a story. It's not, because we're going to keep reading. And look how Jesus continues. Verse four, uh, 44. So then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman? Which obviously his answer is yes. I came, in, I came into your house. Now he's doing the 50 and the 500 here. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Socially, it would be, he didn't have to, but if you provided, you know, for us, it's a coat hanger if you came in with a coat, you know. Or you're going to have a meal. Oh, here, here's, here's the washroom. You know, so you could just get ready. So he didn't, he didn't have to, but he didn't provide water. But she cared for him like a servant would. That's interesting. Um, you didn't give me a kiss, verse 45. It was socially acceptable. You know, someone comes to your house. Do you give them the... Stiff arm shake. Come on in. You know, stay away from me. Hopefully you invite someone to your home. Be Latin. Give them a hug. Even if they don't want it. Like give them, when someone comes over your house, just show them, show them a little warmth. A little, and if they push you away, don't make it awkward. But, but, but you know, like embrace people. Invite them in. And um, so it would have been appropriate if he'd given the teacher a kiss. But he didn't. But from the time I entered, this lady has not stopped kissing my feet. Sign of welcome. But like not a cheek-to-cheek embrace. Like she's humbled herself. You didn't put any oil on my head. Again, this wouldn't have been inappropriate in their day. Not necessary. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, 500 to 50, remember the comparison? Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But it has been forgiven, little loves little. Love follows forgiveness. Her sins have been forgiven. Jesus is not saying, like, now that, I, now that she did this, she, she earned it. You know, like, oh, wow, great. You did one, two, three, forgiven. No. Her love demonstrates she has already been forgiven. They labeled her a sinner, but they don't know the heart of God. And they don't know what God has already done for her. The same could be said for you and me. Me, It's not clear if she had already met Jesus. We don't know. Had she already met him? Was she one of the followers? There's no account that exactly gets this woman into Jesus's chronology as we know. But she could have been in the crowds hearing him teach and cut to the heart. 
We don't get the specifics, but by the end of the story, when you see Jesus' final words, you realize something had already happened. Some unrecorded, beautiful work in her heart where she had been repentant. And, and her, her actions, her love had followed the forgiveness that she had received. She was living like a humble servant to this master teacher. But they didn't get it. Which is a reminder that living neighborly means we need to adjust how we see people because we don't see what God's already doing. There are people right now that may look like quote-unquote whatever to you. You have no idea how they may be crying out to God. You have no idea how God may be leading and guiding them. You have no idea of the profound work that may be happening deep within. We don't see it. The Pharisees, Simon didn't see it. Jesus sees it. So neighborliness means we recognize God is at work everywhere and we don't let the labels define how we treat people. So how do you see people? How do you see the people that God's put you around? How do you see the golfers that are F-bombing it when they mess up? How do you see them? Now you can see them as a, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like or you can see people as created in the image of God, loved by God. Jesus came to rescue, and they are absolute candidates for a total internal revolution. Jesus can do it. See, being a neighbor is like being like Jesus. So Jesus isn't asking us to be like some pre-described form of person that's unnatural. Being a neighbor is being like Jesus. Jesus warms people and brings people in. Verse 48 then, so Jesus talks to Simon and says about this woman. Now he talks to her. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your, your, faith, is, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, peace for us is not that big of a deal of a word. But, but in their setting, this is probably bigger Peace is the, is the center of God's presence. Peace is what the Hebrew people are looking for. God's, in Hebrew you'd say more, they're his shalom, his working of all things to the right. God's, God's presence, God's favor, God's goodness, God's wholeness. Like, this isn't just like, you know, you get a day off. Peace. This is, he's extending to her not only past that's been taken care of, but go with God. Go with God. Pharisees are like, she's not one of the people that are going to go with God. So love, my friends, looks like a second chance. Love looks like a second chance. Love looks, it looks like a, a meal. It looks like a conversation. It looks like extending a second chance. And can I just add, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a 100th chance. Love to God well, it's like giving someone, giving the people around us another opportunity to experience God's forgiveness, God's favor, God's presence, God's peace. It's not letting people's past define them, but recognizing that God's always working. So Jesus models perfectly what it means to be a neighbor. He doesn't gloss over a sin. Notice, he doesn't gloss and say it never happened. He says to her what is true, her faith in God and her obvious, repentant, I'm turning to God. That has rescued you. So her actions, her love followed 
the forgiveness that she had received. So Jesus just declares what she probably needed to hear again. Because frankly, if she goes to synagogue at all, she's not getting that message. The people in her day are not giving her the message that God wants her to have. And God's message to her is your faith has saved you. Go with the presence of God. And so it's possible, it's, it's possible for people to come into this gathering and leave feeling judged. That may be you. you someone got you here. You're like, I don't even want to be here. But the AC is okay. I'll hang out for a while. And you're like, now, if you feel convicted that something's not right and there may be more, that's God coming to you saying, you know what, there is more. Find out more. But if you feel judged by everyone because of the way you dress and the way you look or what you've done or whatever else, then that's, that's not Jesus. Love follows forgiveness. And when you realize that Jesus' very mission was to come and provide the rescue that we need. He came to handle our sin, actually take it on himself. And going forward, the cross, which Luke's going to tell us, keep reading. Going forward, in the cross, he takes our sin upon himself and the guilt that we deserve, penalty we deserve, he takes on himself. And in the resurrection, he rises again and death is defeated so that our past doesn't have to define us. And so Jesus is offering second chances. The question is, are we? Are we being neighborly? Are we providing room for God to be God in people's lives? Or are we judging people by the label that we've put on them? Or are we judging ourselves? You see, love looks like a second chance for you. The story ends with the beautiful Jesus conversation to her. He's talking to Simon. You need to extend love to others. But he says to her, go in God's peace. There there is love for you. There's nothing that happened in your life that God can't heal. And you need to hear it again. Jesus tells her what she should have been hearing from other believers in her day. There's nothing in your life that Jesus can't heal. There's nothing in your life that Jesus can't forgive. There is a second or a third or a hundredth. If you've been following Jesus for a while, let's remind everyone else around us what we already know to be true. I'm never in a spot where I don't need God's mercy, Right? Like, I'm 20 years in following Jesus. Great, now I've got it. Thank you, Jesus, and I'll take care of the rest myself. No, we're never. We're never in a spot. As a matter of fact, I've been following Jesus longer than a lot of you have been alive, right? And I can tell you with confidence, I am in more need of God's forgiveness and mercy and kindness now than before. You think I have this figured out? I do. You know what happens over time? You're more sensitive to what breaks the heart of God. So before things that I just excuse, like, oh, that's just a habit. Now I realize, oh, that's a sin. And Jesus wants to set me free from that. So, so the longer you're following Jesus, the more aware you are of your need for him. So here's what should happen. Because I realize even though I've been with him, I need him. Wow, I want to give everyone else a chance. Because if I've had all this years of Jesus' presence and I still need him, why in the world would I be pointing the finger at this person who may be new or may be unaware of their need for Jesus? Do you see what happens? Or we can be the people who point the finger. There is a second chance for you. You're loved by Jesus. He cares for you. And he wants to take brokenness and make you whole. So I'll give you a practical one here. Because some of this meets what we do as a church. Some doesn't. But one thing it does meet is if you've been hurt in the past, whether that's 
something that's happened to you, whether it's abuse or neglect or whatever, and you, you've just been really wounded, wounded to the point where not a day goes by where you can't get past that thing. It just affects everything. We understand, and there are people in this community who are walking through that as well. Like, you're actually not, you're not the weird one. You're not alone. And so we have 26 West communities. Most of them are open to everyone, where there's about 40 of them, and people meet and eat together and talk and pray and love one another. And we have a few that aren't public. You're not going to see them on the website. But they're designed for people who, who want to experience God's freedom and forgiveness or healing, whatever it is, restoration, and it's called Mending the Soul. It's based on a book that was written. Um, and, and really, it's a book that led to a curriculum that led to a small group interaction, and there are at least a couple that I know of, and they're led by people in our community who have walked through God's healing power in their own life. Not perfect, don't have it all together, but God is working in and through them. So these communities are kind of cohort style, and you learn together, and you share with one another, and the book doesn't change you, and the group doesn't change you, and the leader doesn't change you. Jesus does that, as he works through the book and through the group and through the leaders and through the people who walk through life with you. So there is something called Mending the Soul. And, and if you want to know more about it, uh, um, Ryan, who's our director of communities, he's aware of when they meet and everything. You could email him and just say, hey, can you let me know about Mending the Soul group? Or they'll put you in touch with the leadership. You could email myself. You could email anyone on our team. And we would love to point you towards that. They start and they go for a certain amount of time. And, and, it's, and when I say that, here's, what's hap- here's what happens sometimes. We think like, I don't want to be that needy person. Like, I don't want to be pegged as I need the group. Can you just, that's just a lie. See, that's a label that says, if you need to walk through Jesus' presence with other people, that makes you less than. And that's just a lie. So no one from here is like, I don't know if I'm going to email someone because what if someone knows I really have hurts? My friend, there's freedom in Jesus and he's provided a way for wholeness. Will you, like the woman who encounters Jesus' presence, hear his words of affirmation to her, daughter, forgiveness, wholeness, peace for you, even when the leaders of the lunch want to kick her out? God has a word of hope for her. Second thing I want us to see, though, not only does love look like, you know, forgiveness and wholeness and a second chance for you, but it looks like a second chance for others. And this is where Jesus points all of us in the, in the encounter that Simon the Pharisees, this group needed to know that his heart was for everyone, not just them. And so they needed to see that loving God and loving neighbor is about seeing people as valuable. And the one who's been forgiven much actually loves much. And there's a great capacity for you to say, well, man, I wish that didn't happen. And I wish I didn't feel this way. And I wish I could get over it. And the word of hope is that the good news of Jesus, when he comes in, not only does he take you to a place of healing and wholeness, even if you don't believe it, I'm going to repeat it. That does not have to define you for the rest of your life. It did happen. It will be a part of your story. But it doesn't have to be the end of your story. And the woman leaves the home, I believe, set free to worship God in a new way. And it could be that her story becomes a word of hope to the people she tells that this Jesus gave a word of forgiveness for me. And it could be that Jesus takes 
the negative and evil, which is evil, and he works it even for good for you and for other people, and that what happened to you or is happening to you could be a God word for someone else. And that's seemingly how it works. Now, we're called to extend forgiveness to others, to second chance to others. But let me give you a couple of qualifiers because when I say that, and if you're dealing with hurts, anger will come up. And so let me just, let me just say a word of that. Extending forgiveness doesn't mean saying it's okay to what people did or are doing. Forgiveness is not ignoring injustice or evil. For, true forgiveness is saying it is evil and wrong and shouldn't have and justice should come, but I am not going to extend justice. I'm going to leave that to God. And I'm going to set them free that God, you deal with this person. And as a Jesus follower, to go as far as to say, God, I wish this wouldn't have and it shouldn't, but would you do a work in their life too? Releasing people to God because who is the just judge? Are we? Is our government? Is our community? No, God is a God of justice. So forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It was not okay. It is wrong. And those two are not contradictions. To say it's wrong, yet Jesus, you think of Jesus on the cross, is the prime example. They're murdering. They're killing the perfect one. Unjustly. He had, been, he had committed no crime. The Romans crucified him for these charges that were off. But what does Jesus say? Father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So it is possible to grow in God to the point, are you there yet? If not, by grace, you'll get there. And extending forgiveness doesn't mean we're going to be close with those people. So when I say, like, love your neighbor as yourself, this person was hurtful. This person is unrepentant. This person doesn't understand. This person thinks it was okay. Am I saying that by forgiving them that you're going to be their best buddy? Absolutely not. Sometimes the best thing to do is avoid them. Because they're toxic and they need the love of Jesus and they need healing in their own life. And until all those things happen, it makes no sense. So those, again, aren't contradictions. It's okay to say, I'm avoiding this person or this place, but yet my heart is not wrapped up with hatred towards them. I have been forgiven much. I have been made whole of much. Therefore, love will follow forgiveness. And extending forgiveness and a second chance, my friends, is the way of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, just look at Jesus, and he's the pattern for you. So if you're not there yet, don't fret. If you're not there yet, keep following him, and he has something for you. What does it mean to love God and love neighbor? It's actually embedded in the Lord's Prayer, and I want to end with this. There's one line in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus said, his disciples said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, a few things, and then he has this line. Forgive us, Luke 11. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. It's everything that Jesus demonstrated in, in Luke 7. Put, it, put in a prayer. Father, forgive us. Now, Jesus didn't need any forgiveness. But we say to, to the Father, Father, forgive us. I need mercy. I'm in debt. I owe 500 whatever as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Love follows forgiveness. Lord, as you've given me your presence, I'm asking your presence in their world as well. 
And so these encounters and living as a neighbor draws us to questions. So I want to end with two questions that deserve a response. And I can't answer them for you. I wish I could. But I would love for you to take what Jesus said and filter it through these two questions. Where do you need God's grace today? Because we're, we're a mixed bag. And I think most of us, both of these questions relate to where do you need grace today? Where are you like the woman who's weepy about your own, either your own hurt, you didn't even do it. You don't need forgiveness. You just need healing. You need to know that you're valued. You need to know that that's not everything. You need to know that you're affirmed by God. Or you've done it and you're guilty as ever and you actually need to be repentant about it and you need God's forgiveness. Where do you need grace? And then who do we need to extend grace to? That is, out of God's love been given to us, who do I need to now pour it out to? Who, who is the person that I'm stiff-arming? Who's the person that I'm judging? Who's the person that I'm labeling? Who's the person that I am, I'm holding a grudge against? If I've been forgiven much, the natural response, the right response, is to be like the woman and to extend it to others. So make room in your heart, I just ask, make room in your heart for God to work on and in you. And we're going to actually invite, we've been praying all week and all morning that God would collide what's true, what you heard is just true. And now, by the work of the Holy Spirit, who can only do what we can't do, is take what's true and reorient your mind to think like God thinks and then to live like God lives. So... If you need God's grace, it's here for you. And if you need to extend grace, he wants to empower you to do it, all right? And so as we sing these songs, let those two questions just drive the response. God, we're, now you already probably know it, but she actually did something about it. She stood by Jesus. She could have stood by anybody, right? She stood as close as she could to Jesus. And then she was touched. And Jesus saw her, and he'll see you too. But maybe it's just you need to give it to someone else. And maybe maybe God, the Holy Spirit, will, as we worship, lead you to a person or a place that you need to go to and do something about. That's what we're asking God to do, right? Scary stuff. So why don't we, uh, why don't we stand, and let's just invite God to begin to work this out in our world. Lord... We are your people and we're, you know our brokenness, you know our repetitive issues, you know our failings, you know our own guilt trips, you know the things that we've just said, oh, that's okay, when it's not. And Lord, you know our hurts, you know our past, you know the stumbling blocks, you know the issues we can't get past, you know the people who just set up all sorts of things in our own soul. And I know, Lord, that you want to bring healing to us. That's what you did. Everywhere you went, you brought your presence, which just made broken things whole again. So God, would you do that here in this room, in this place, at this time, even in us. And as we worship you, Jesus, as we like this woman, we get to where you are, get as close to where you are so that we can hear from you. As we now sing these songs by faith, we pray that these songs will just be a vehicle. As we worship you, as we pour our hearts to you, that there'll be a vehicle for you to do what only you can do and say what only you can say to us. So Lord, do it now in a custom fit way for us. 
even as we do it together as one church. Do your work, we pray. Amen.